All right, welcome to a financial planning podcast with a down-to-earth vibe. Sasquatch listens while curling his hair. On this episode, we will discuss the Secure Act 2.0. So there have been updates to the Secure Act, and this may affect your retirement plans, including increased RMD age, catch-up contributions, 529 changes, Roth contributions by employers, auto-enrollment on new 401k plans, so let's answer those questions and go over it in detail on this episode of Through the Pines, introducing Forbes Best in State Wealth Management Teams for Utah, also Advisor Hub, fastest growing advisors to watch under $1 billion, and the receivers of the Ameriprise Client Experience Award. There are financial wizards for this episode of Through the Pines, Brandon Smith and Rex Baxter. How are you, gentlemen? Good. Doing great. Thanks for having us, Brandon. So is this is this topic going to be as exciting as we make it? Or is it really people are like, what is going on? Like they they they're worried about secure, the Secure Act or maybe they don't know. And here's what they should know. Oh, I think people are lining up at the door to read <laughs> the 350 pages of the Secure Act that Biden signed into law. On OK, lining up the door. OK. Yeah, I'm All pretty right. sure. Well, I, I don't know much about it. So would it affect me if I'm not retired? So let's just start with that first basic question. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Well, I guess I should say it depends. Okay. Everything <laughs> depends, right? No, no. I, I think all of it is important to have, you know, to have familiarity with because some of it can, it depends. It depends on income. It depends on um, strategies. And, and so, yeah, I think it's, it's important to kind of keep these, these topics, you know, top of mind. And even if you're not in retirement, some of it, you know, like the RMD one that I know we want to talk about, um, that, you know, that impacts projected plans. So even if you're in your 50s or 60s today, that's going to impact how fast we're going to need to take distributions from our IRAs. So, yes. Okay. Let's chat about that. So increase RMD age. What is RMD? What does this mean? Break it down for us, Brandon. Yeah, RMD is your required minimum distribution. And that's required on all of your assets that are pre-tax. So, so that's going to include your traditional IRAs, your traditional 401ks, SEP IRAs, simple IRAs, basically anything that you haven't paid taxes on yet, right? Because when we contribute to a traditional 401k, traditional IRA, we get a tax deduction. It goes in you know, pre, pre-tax so we, and it grows tax deferred. Um, but eventually the government wants their money, right? And, and, uh, and so what they do is once you reach a certain age, they require that you take a, a portion of that out each year. And as you take that out, you're required to pay taxes on it. Okay. So why did they change it? Were they not getting the money fast enough? You know, most, most legislation, it seems that way, right? It, it's like, yeah. there's always something, right? Incentivize Roth or incentivize something so they can get the payment faster, um, and, and there's definitely some of that in, in this new legislation. However, this RM, the RMD rule, they're actually making it more favorable for the consumer. They're pushing back that age. So okay. before Secure Act 1.0, it was, it was uh, 70 and a half was the age limit. So once you turn 70 and a half, you had to start taking a, a percentage out. Usually starts around that 4% um, amount. And then Secure Act you know, 1.0 happened. They didn't call it. It was just the Secure Act at that point. Secure Act happens, 
And then it pushed it back to a nice round 72. So not 70 and a half, but now 72. And then with this one, it's being pushed back to age 73 is when you need to start taking. Now, one, one clarification, you can start pulling money out before that. You can start taking money as early as age 59 and a half without penalty. And there are even some strategies we can get it out without penalty prior to age 59 and a half. But 59 and a half is, is kind of the main you know, start point when you can start pulling money out of these IRAs. Um, this just requires you to pull money out. Once you turn 73 now, you're going to be required to start taking that out and recognizing that as income. Okay. Uh, Rex, how do you think this will affect your clients? It, I think it'll affect, you know, everybody. It, it'll affect everybody It's sooner or later. And so, you know, those that are close that are just hitting their, their seventies, they're, they're surprised and excited to know that they don't have to start taking their mandatory distributions just yet. And they get a reprieve for a couple of years. And, and as financial planners, that gives us some ability to continue with, with some strategies of getting money out of the IRA accounts and into Roth IRA accounts or out of the IRA accounts at lower tax brackets um, to where we can get out a, a smaller a smaller amount than the minimum and, and sometimes keep them in that lower tax bracket. So, so, you know, eventually everybody that lives beyond 73, it will impact. As mm -hmm. far as this rule, so mm -hmm. is there any way to maybe you know use this rule, or is it is is this rule advantageous to everyone because you can keep it in your in your, you know, making earning money for you longer? I mean, is that the biggest advantage to the investor? Yeah, I think the biggest advantage to the investor is that if if you have money in retirement accounts and you're not needing it for for your daily living, daily cash flow in retirement. So you're, you, you're putting that off. Then I think it gives you the ability of additional choices of, it gives us an extra year right now from 72 to 73. So it's not a huge change right here. Right. Initially um, it gives us an extra year to get one additional Roth conversion out or okay. one additional amount out at a lower tax bracket possibly. And then when they turn, you know, in 2033 for those that that are nearing age 73, it pushes it off an additional two years for 74 and 75. So, you know, as an example, if we're converting, let's say, you know, $40,000 a year from an IRA to a Roth IRA, then that allows us to get an additional 40 or up to 120,000 in that example into a Roth IRA before we have to start taking those mandatory distributions. So. Okay. Speaking of Roth IRAs, there are now changes to catch-up contributions. Um, who wants to handle that one? Brandon does. I vote. I vote Brandon. <laughs> no, just, All right, Brandon. Talk to me about that. Was Brandon Long? I think is. <laughs> well, yeah, I could start. I mean, I could read what was what was in the notes. <laughs> just, no, I, yeah, I should take it. So, so the catch-up contribution. You, you, in, and we're we're talking about four hundred one k specifically. Um, there is a, a catch-up contribution on the IRA, you know, as you, and, and essentially what it is is when you turn age 50, you're allowed to make what are called catch-up contributions. Now, it doesn't matter whether you need to catch up or not. Um, it just comes down to do you want to save more? Oftentimes, people, when they're in their 50s and 60s, they're in the higher income earning years of their lives. And, and so, the, you know, the government allows them to save additional funds 
to prepare for retirement. So this year, right now, right, you can save 22,500, we're in 2023, you can save $22,500 per year into a 401k plan. If you are over age 50, they allow you to make a catch-up contribution of $7,500 additional into that. Now, as it stands today, all of that can be the Roth, so after tax or pre-tax and take a tax deduction on that. And that, that's, that's the piece that's changing. That catch-up contribution will now be required to be Roth contributions if your income is above the threshold. And, and the threshold is $145,000. So if you made $145,000 the year before, then you're required to make that catch-up contribution in Roth. Now, we talked about earlier, like, you know, does the government, is this better? Does it get more tax money or less tax money? This is one of those that they're essentially getting more tax money, right? Because if you're in those higher tax brackets and they're saying, okay, you can contribute, you can make this catch-up contribution. However, it's going to need to be made in Roth dollars, meaning you don't get a tax deduction. You can't push off that tax until you're in retirement in a lower tax bracket, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's effect effectively making you pay your taxes sooner. And sorry, so so what is all of this law now? So is this affected? Like, if you turn fifty this year, how does that work? Yeah, so so the catch up, the catch up contribution. There, there's a couple pieces to this. the The Roth piece takes effect next year in 2024, mm -hmm. and they're also kind of increasing as well down the road how much that catch-up can be on the later ages, but we'll talk about that later. Okay. This year, though, it is not impacted. So this year, you can do pre-tax or Roth, no matter what your income was last year. However, at this point, we need to start planning for that and looking at where, where your income's at and what we're going to be able to do looking forward. Okay. Um, and as I'm assuming as financial planners, Rex, you guys run into to people who want to catch up often, or is this, or you know, what, what's the percentage of the of the people this may affect? Do you think? So it, it probably affects the upper. I, I don't know what the percentage is, right? But maybe the upper ten to fifteen percent of the population. Mm -hmm. It does, you know, it will have that impact. I mean, I just it, not to reveal my age, but I just turned fifty. Right? What? And so I know, I know. Halfway it's, to a hundred, you know. I know. It's a big year this year. It's a big year this year. And so for me, right, I can I can contribute that catch up of seventy five hundred, like Brandon said. And and essentially what that's gonna do to me next year is I'll have to pay because if I do that, it goes in as a Roth. And so essentially I don't get that, you know, twenty five hundred dollars in tax deductions that mm -hmm. I was getting this year on yeah. that contribution. And so it forces me to pay those taxes on that money earlier. And and typically at your during your highest earning years, which is why they're doing that, is typically from 50 to, to 65 or 50 to retirement, you're in your highest earning years, typically your highest tax bracket um, during your lifetime. And so that's why they're making that change is to kind of force a bigger amount of taxes at the highest tax brackets that somebody's gonna pay for those that are trying to save for retirement. So Rex, will you remind me and everyone listening uh, of the, is this sort of a, a bipartisan agreement on the secure act 2.0, or is this, uh, is this something that in the future, depending on what political party is in power and wants to change things will adjust again. 
So, so this had quite a bit of bipartisan support. Um, There's a lot of negotiation, I, I, again, 350 pages, right? And we're just talking about a small portion of the retirement piece of this SECURE Act. Um, and so there, there was some negotiating back and forth on, on little nuances, uh, but it had pretty broad support all in all. Okay. And so I, I wouldn't anticipate this changing um, in the future as far as being reversed. It, it would be, you know, I, I could see a time when they, you know, when they again increase, if people continue to live longer, if they increase that RMD age or um, increase the amount of catch up, you know, different things like that. But yeah. I, I don't see it getting reversed. No, I'm just trying to determine. And I, it, you know, the laws don't change as much as, ta- as tax laws change, which is pretty much every year. But for the, for the every person who maybe isn't working with a financial planner, that's the financial planner's job is to stay up on this stuff. And so if that's something you don't want to have to mess with, uh, that's why Rex and Brandon exist. And so if it changes often, make sure to contact your financial planner. You don't have to worry about that, which would be nice. Um, yeah. So, so there's, there's that plug by the way. So yeah. a lot, a lot five, two, nine assets to be transferred to Roth IRAs beginning in 2024. So the five twenty nine plans are changing. Um, says beginning in 2024, beneficiaries of 529 plans that have been in place for 15 years or more can transfer assets from the 529 plan to a Roth IRA. Well, that sounds good, Brandon. What are we doing there? Yeah, yeah, this is a real win. The the 529 plan um, has been, you know, it, it's it's historically one of the better, you know, ways to save for college for kids. You can contribute really large amounts in into a 529. The real catch, though, with the 529 is if you don't use it for educational costs, and that can happen for a variety of reasons, right? Scholarships, kids decide not go, not to go to a university and they, they do something else with their profession. I mean, there's a lot of things that can happen where all of a sudden you're sitting there and you're like, I've got all this money in a 529 plan and I don't need to spend it for college. What do I do? And in the past, you were left with very few options, right? We can take it out and take a penalty or we can transfer it to another family member. But now we can, let's say we've got, you know, an extra 10 grand sitting in a, in a 529 plan and all the college expenses are paid. Well, now we can actually, after it's been sitting there for 15 years, we can convert that over to a Roth IRA for the beneficiary of the 529 plan. So, Does so the, it matter how much is left in there? Is there a ba- balance? So yep, a, there's a lifetime a maximum limit of $35,000. So you can only do this with up to $35,000 one time, right? That's a cumulative amount for each person. But it allows you to effectively take, all right, we got this extra money left over from our 529. We put an extra, we can convert that to a Roth IRA for this child and let that grow, you know, the rest of their lives. And so that's that's really beneficial. I, I guess the downside still with 529 is it's still not overly flexible. If, if you have a child who, you know, they, they graduate and you want to help them out with a wedding or with other expenses, you still don't have that flexibility. And it might make sense to look at other options like a UTMA account, uh, uniform transfer to minor account or, or some, something else that has some more flexibility. Really, with education planning and and gifting and things like that, there's quite a bit of strategy in it. But we wanted to highlight this on the 529 because this really is a great benefit, and and solves a lot of the 
a lot of the anguish of how do I plan for my child's, you know, education future and, and what happens if I save too much? This has a really good solution. So, so if you save too much and you have more than the $35,000 and after the, so you had a hundred and then you spent money, but you still have like 45,000. So 35, you can transfer. What happens to the other 10? Does it fall into the old, old rules? Yeah. Yeah. So at that point, you know, you can transfer that to another, you know, another beneficiary. Um, you can pull it out and pay a penalty on it. Um, mm -hmm. So we still got rules. Um, but man, that 35,000 gives us a lot more breathing room. Yeah. Okay. So I'm looking. Okay. It needs, you have 15 years. It has to sit in there. So yeah. That yeah. So it has to sit for 15 years. And, and, and my, I, I think the reason they did that was, you know, Roth IRAs have a certain amount of flexibility to them. Um, yeah. and, and so, and there's, you know, the five year, I mean, there's a lot of different rules with the Roth IRA. And so this is essentially, in my opinion, kind of marking this to say, Hey, we've got it. This has got to be long-term assets. In my opinion, trying to push this into a true retirement account for that child. Now, if you started the 529 early enough, you know, maybe that flexibility re-enters the picture, but I, I do think that over time, this is one of those provisions that the government will refine. Um, this is, is a fairly new concept for the government as far as to allow the money to move from an education account, education savings account, over to a retirement account and maintain the tax-free status and tax-free growth on that asset. And so this is one of those provisions over the next five or 10 years, it wouldn't surprise me to see the, the lifetime limit increase you know, I'm not sure they're going to change the time frame because I think they do want to keep it as a long-term asset. But I, I would anticipate changes to this provision over a long period of time, probably. Brandon, you have some more numbers? Yeah, you bet. All right. <laughs> so wanted to talk inflation for a minute. And, and yeah, inflation, I haven't heard enough about that this year. I, I know. But yet there seems to be a central, there, there's a central misunderstanding, right? I talk to people about inflation and, and, and we talk about inflation coming down, right? Um, according to Bespoke, right? It, it's actually, when you look at the numbers, it's come down over the last nine months consecutively. And anytime a finance person says that, without fail, you're going to get eyes rolling. Like, oh yeah, I've been to the store lately. It's not coming down. <laughs> and, and, and I think that the point I wanted to point out and that hopefully will help all of our listeners make sense of what everyone's talking about. When we're talking about inflation coming down, we're talking about the rate at which inflation is increasing is coming down. And so you kind of target right where people would like to see inflation again, let's say is two to 3%. What that means is if we waved and, and we're still sitting, you know, up at about 5%, 5, you know, five, 6%. It, what that means is if we instantly next month saw this inflation come down to 2%, we're still going to be, that's 2% higher today than it was a year ago when it was 9% higher than the year before, right? Prices aren't, and, and there are some things where prices might come down a little bit, but in general, overall, the big basket that we measure inflation with, we anticipate good news is when that's only increasing by one, two, three percent over the year before. And so it, it's, I guess that's the overall bad news about inflation is, is we don't anticipate prices to revert back to where they were, 
But the good news is that the rate at which they're increasing is coming down. And that's, that's really the, what the Fed is watching to make their decisions and how much pain they feel they need to inflict on our economy in order to bring that down. So to get this straight, inflation, I think they want it to average around 2%. Like if you have a good inflation rate of 2% that, or 2% inflation rate, then that's good. Is that correct? That's the U.S. target, right? It's roughly a 2% inflation rate. And so that means that something that costs you $100 today, a year from now, it would cost you $102. Okay. But don't get it twisted. When they say inflation's coming down, that doesn't mean that doesn't mean things are necessarily getting cheaper. It just means the cost of goods aren't rising as fast as they used to. Right, Brandon? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, and we were up around like, what, 9%? Yeah. Yeah. Hit 9.1 in June of 2022. That's far from 2%. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Just yeah. to clarify. <laughs> I mean, so so essentially what happened, right, is a $100 item went to 109 um, over the last 12 months. And then, you know, from, from the, well, so from 21 to 22, and then from 22 to 23, it's gone up another 2 per, You know, if it was at 2%, then it'd go from 109 to 111. And, and for the math nerds out there, I know that I'm not doing, you know, exactly 2% <laughs> on those numbers, but, um, but, but that's how that, how that builds. And so, it, you know, people say that and they're like, well, it's still going up. And that, that would be, you know, deflation if it was going down in price, if it was going from $110, you know, for, for an item down to $100, that'd be a 10% deflation. And, and that brings a, an entirely new set of problems to an economy when you start having deflation or stagflation, which is a zero um, inflation, mm -hmm. essentially. And, and so, you know, the U.S. targets roughly 2%. Um, China typically has, has been in an inflation rate of 5 to 7%. You know, so different, different areas around the world all have their own targets as far as what kind of inflation they're targeting and they're shooting for. And, and I think we forget how spoiled we are. The U.S. dollar, it has been incredibly stable. I went, I, I was up at Utah State and I went to a, a speech by, is I don't remember which country, it may have been Dominican Republic. It was, it was one of those countries, um, a little bit smaller country, a little bit more developing. Anyway, he was bragging about, he, he had just mentioned you know, during his presidency, they had really contained inflation. And then he quoted, it was about, I think it was eight to 9% is where they had averaged. I was just like blown away. Like that's contained, that's good. But but we see those, and, and Russia, I mean, they pre-COVID were experiencing really high inflation numbers. And so we see we see high inflation around the world. Um, this, this little bout of inflation, though has been rough, is not new for most world citizens. Okay, inflation's fun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Way to keep that audience awake well, and just, alive, Brandon. Yeah, well, <laughs> inflation's tough because that if you're, and that's a whole other subject, which is not in the Secure Act. But but what do you do because if you're if if incomes aren't keeping up with inflation, then you had a real problem. But that's a whole other whole other subject. Um, so well, that's what we experienced over the last year, right? Is yeah. is incomes weren't keeping up with inflation, and and typically, who does that hurt the most? You know, typically it hurts the lower income earners the most, and and so that's the issue, and that's why the Fed 
you know, steps in and, and tries to, to keep, you know, get the inflation back down significantly so that wages again can kind of keep up. And, and those on fixed incomes like Social Security and things like that, they get in, in extreme difficulty because typically the adjustments on their income are lagging the, the actual increase in goods and services. And yeah. so, you know, that puts additional pressure on, on everybody that's, that's on the fixed income or in kind of the, you know, middle income and, and, and under uh, income brackets. So, uh, well, then does the raising of the catch up contributions for those 60 to 63, uh, does, does that help you save more money so that you can have more money in retirement? Man, that if was a have, good transition. If you have the money to uh, save. That's a good transition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you have the money to save. Yeah. Well, because you can see the disadvantages of, there's obviously advantages to living on a fixed income. You have a fixed income and that's, that's necessary for, for millions of people. Um, the disadvantage is during periods of, of high inflation. And so, you know, ensuring you have enough money in retirement to sort of self insure yourself against that, that was repeated a few times, but to where you have the cash would be nice, you know, and if you need to catch up, you can a little bit now. Am I reading that correctly? Yeah. Well, so I, I think what's fun about this, and I'll, and I'll let you take over here in just a second, Brandon, but I think what's interesting about this is the government is essentially saying, okay, in 2024, we're going to, you know, force your catch-up contributions to go in after tax. So we're going to force you to pay tax on any catch-up contributions that you want to put in. In 2025, we're going to increase how much you can pay more taxes on today to put into a Roth you know, as a catch-up contribution for a three-year window. And where they came up with the three-year window, who knows? I'm sure that was some sort of negotiation from somebody back there, but mm. why that didn't go to age 65 or doesn't just go from 60 years of age on um, just doesn't make a lot of logical sense out yeah. there. But, uh, but I think it is interesting the government's saying, yeah, you know, you can pay taxes sooner and you can pay taxes on more money sooner too. We'll let you do that. So that was kind of fun. Yeah, you can pay all the taxes. I, I will say, because I agree, Rex. I totally agree. And the and the, the humor is not lost on me. But it, it Roth, because we get this a lot, higher income earners that are like, hey, where should I save? And 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 we'd rather, oftentimes, we'd rather do pre-tax. Because what does pre-tax do? It defers the taxation. And if we can defer paying tax in their high income earning years, push that off until they're in retirement, no longer have a job and no longer have an income. A lot of times that can be highly beneficial. However, Roth contributions are not the end of the world, right? Because effectively we can put these in and it'll grow tax-free and be tax-free in retirement. I'm a huge fan of Roth, but but I think the I think the the irony of all this, right, is that they're like, okay, now you can you can do Roth when you're in your highest levels of income um, rather than maybe encouraging that when you're in your lower levels of income um and 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 roth usually makes a lot more sense well speaking of roth and normally with your job you're, you're talking 401k contributions but what is this about roth contributions through employers brandon yeah kind of this one for me anyway came out of left field um, employer contributions or employer matches. So when I'm working in a job and I've got a 401k and I make my contribution, the employer agrees to match it. 
the employer match is always pre-tax. Whether I do Roth IRA or traditional, or sorry, Roth 401k or traditional 401k, no matter what I decide on my taxes on my contribution, the employer match historically has always been traditional. Um, they changed that to where now employers have the option to do Roth money as well. And this kind of gets back to this, this joke of like the, the government saying, okay, yeah, you guys can do more Roth, do more Roth, right? Because effectively that gets them the tax revenue up front rather than, you know, at 72, 73 or 75. And, and so kind of a funny, kind of a funny, another funny twist. I'm not sure exactly how this will, will end up playing out. Obviously it's, it's effective immediately. So plans can do that, that, However, you know, 401k plan, the boards need to meet together. They need to approve the changes. They need to amend the plan documents. They need to figure out what cost structure is like. Um, but it effectively adds another, just another option, right, for employers. If you want to do that matching contribution and make it Roth, then the employer has the option to do that. Obviously, there's going to be some adjustments to the cost of that and, and the way that's handled from a tax perspective. But that option is available. I will say prior to this, you could still do Roth with the, the employer match. You just had, if the plan allowed it, you just had to do the Roth conversion. And I've done that, right? Where I'll go in and I, I've gone back and switched my employer's contribution and converted that to Roth. I have to pay the taxes in the year that I do that, but it allows me to build up that Roth amount more. This just allows the employer to just directly contribute to Roth, which is kind of interesting. I, it wasn't even on my radar at all. Yeah. I think it'll be I think it'll be interesting. You know, this will probably be one of the, in my opinion, one of the the most underutilized provision of the Secure <laughs> Act. Probably there's there's yeah. not a lot of incentive for a company to sit there and say, hey, I used to get this great tax deduction by helping out my employees. Oh, to heck with that tax. I'm just going to put it in. I'm going to go ahead and pay the taxes because I you know, because I want to No more of a, of an employee perk. And so it's like, maybe if you really want to keep, keep your employees, that's something that you do. It, it, it could be that I, I think it will be interesting as, as you try and read between the lines of what the government is thinking and things like that. But most people are aware that the profit sharing plan and the 401k plan uh, was the beginning of, of the end for pension plans. Mm -hmm. Right. And it'll be interesting to see if the government continues to kind of push this and pursue this, if over time the government starts moving all company contributions and requiring all company contributions to be Roth contributions, hmm. thus forcing the companies to pay taxes on those contributions into 401k plans. Now, that's not there yet, um, but I could see the government going that direction more and more over you know over the next decade or two as the government tries to find additional tax revenues either to spend more or to pay down the national debt uh, you know is concerned and then it'll be interesting to see you know if there's not a tax deduction we'll we'll learn very quickly which companies are truly doing it for the benefit of the employees and which companies are doing it you know for the tax deduction for the benefit of the owners that that'll become very apparent quickly so, sure, uh, but messes with this sixth point that we have on here, which requires auto enrollment of new 401k plans. Yeah, so so kind of a new, a fun new provision twist, right? I've been doing 401k plans for years and years and years, and and 
especially when I started, I'd get up, right, and I'd have my, like, my dance. and be like, you guys, look how amazing saving into retirement accounts is. Look at what, what your funds can grow. We can set this up automatically. You get tax benefits. We can, we can grow. We can have great management. This is your key to jumping into investment, low cost. I mean, all these things. And, and I think, you know, everyone's like, yes, Brandon, we're excited for it. And they're like, who wants to sign up? And, you know, <laughs> half of them would. And I think, and, and people would come up, right, and be like, no, this is so good, so excited. Money's just really tight right now. I'll do it next year, you know. And, and I, hear that, I heard that over and over and over and over again, and, and often times from the same people. And, and so people just wouldn't because, you know, that money's tight. It's an extra form to fill out, all that stuff. Well, plans have started doing, not all of them, but some have started doing automatic enrollment where, you know, you get a notification that says, hey, you're going to be enrolled in the 401k plan. We're going to start you at 3%. Um, if you don't want to do that, let us know. We'll take you off the plan. And it's amazing that simple change the difference because, most times people don't even recognize, you know, a small percentage on their check and it's going to a good cause, right? It's going to the future. People will look at it and be like, ah, I can get by. I'm not going to worry about trying to find a form to stop it, right? And, and it, it does just the opposite. And so we see much higher participation rates in plans that have the automatic enrollment. And so, I mean, we've got plenty of employers that choose that. The downside for an employer, though, is it all of a sudden you get more employees participating? So that's more matching. That's more administration. And so, you know, the, it, if you've got an employer that's doing automatic enrollment, you know, they're, they're likely doing that because they really care about you. But now they're going to be forced to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, old, well, old plans are grandfathered. So yeah. if you've got an old plan, it doesn't change. And if you want to start a 401k, you want that option, but you're worried about you know, the, the cost of an automatic enrollment provision. If you get your 401k plan started before December 31st of 2024, so you've got about a year and a half from, from now, um, but December 31st, 2024, then you can start your plan, not have that automatic provision, add it later if you want to. Mm -hmm. I, I really like watching uh, new, new employees or, or first-time workers get their first check and then they, they've done <laughs> yeah. the math, you know, they know they make 10, 15 bucks an hour or whatever. And then they're like, where's all my money? And what is F I C A? Like what, what is this? <laughs> and so yeah. if, if on, if it's just a line item that says 401k or whatever, and it comes out of their first check, that is what it is. And then they, they're used to it from day one and they won't even bat an eye maybe Rex. Yeah. One, one of, one of my favorites that, problems that this solves is for those employees that that you know think they're they're extremely smart and they probably are really smart in their own fields but they put down how much they want to save for the entire year so i want to save you know five thousand dollars for the year and they put that down as their enrollment amount and their first check is gone oh, because geez. it's per yeah. period not per year. Yeah. And, uh, and so we just took their whole check and then we have to back yeah. it out and it's a mess and, and everything else. And so this kind of solves that, right? Because now it's just percentage based and it's automatically enrolled and, and they can obviously go online and change it. And, and, and we are finding that people do that. Right. And, mm -hmm. and but when you match an auto enrollment with an automatic increase, so you're starting them at three or five or 6%, whatever that amount is. And then you auto increase that by 1% a year, until they get up to 10% or 15%, you know, 
people are great, right? They're, they're, they almost always take the path of least resistance, which is doing nothing, right? And so if it's automatically done for them and it's increasing automatically every single year by a small percentage, then they'll go, then, then they'll take that. And, and this should help people save significantly more money over time for their retirement. And, and I think that this will, you know, all things being equal, be, be a great benefit for people. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a don't tell me what to do with my life sort of guy. Um, but they, this is one of those that'll benefit you, you know, it's like, it's like, especially when you're young and you get your first job and you just don't know what's going on. And, and then you, you work for two or three years and you see the savings start adding up in your 401k and you see it start making money and you're like, uh-huh, okay, I didn't even, I didn't miss it, you know, and now, now you see the power of it, but making that first decision, unless you have good, good parents or a good, somebody or in, in, sometimes it's someone who you work with is like, Hey, it's a really good idea. You should jump in on this 401k unless you have someone helping you make that decision. Um, a lot of people, I guess, don't right. Brandon was what you said. It's hard to get them to, to jump, even though you did the whole raw, raw scene. So this, <laughs> this will automatically enforce in automatically in, enrolls them into a 401k and they have to opt out. Correct. Right. Yep, okay. right. exactly. And they'll get a notice, right? It says, hey, yeah. you've been joined to the 401k, you know, and 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 usually lots of times we see this start at 3%. And 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 that's that's actually so the rule, the rule effective December 31st, 2024, any plan starting after that, they need to in automatically enroll between 3%, but not more than not more than 10%. So between three and 10. 10% I think would shock a system, right? You're just yeah, like, oh my gosh, yeah. what happened? But but yeah, three three to 10%. And then each year thereafter, it needs to increase by 1% until it at least reaches 10%, but you can go up to 15%. And those are really, I mean, just sound, sound ideas. If you don't like it, then you can write in and, and opt out of, of saving. Right. But, right. but man, opt out of saving. Is that is that a hashtag we should get trending? Opt out of saving. Yeah, yeah. Live today. Hashtag <laughs> Live today. opt out. <laughs> Greg's like that is not good for business. No, <laughs> I'm like over here. Cut. Cut. <laughs> Rex, this bill is 300 something pages long. So we hit some like six basic things. Is there anything else you want to touch on on the Secure Act, or, or people just need to? get a hold of planwithbaxter.com and ask questions. I, th I think get a hold of plan planwithbaxter.com. Um, you know, I mean, there's, if, if you are a business owner there, you know, they did increase some incentives for starting up a 401k plan or a retirement plan. And, and so there's some additional incentives and, you know, tax incentives and, and credits and things like that. And so if you're looking at starting one up now is a great time to do it before, like, like you said, Brandon is, is you like the, to be able to make the decision for yourself instead of being forced. And so if you do it now or during the next year and a half, then, then you get that flexibility to make that choice. Um, if you wait until after that, then, then the government's going to, you know, hold your hand fairly firmly and say, this is your choice. Yep. And so, so I, I would say, get a hold of us, plan, plan with Baxter.com. Um, you know, Rex and Brandon here. And so we'd love to talk to you. Awesome. Thanks so much, you guys. Uh, this has been Through the Pines, reminding you to use yesterday's dollars to finance tomorrow's dreams.